0: I love that song because he lives I mean um, I mean that ties so well too into the series I did over the last three weeks Um, and and when you read through the book of Acts you see just how much the Apostles actually emphasized the fact that Christ was resurrected Um, we, we often overlook that when we're sharing the gospel but that is a critical component of our gospel without the fact that Christ has been resurrected Paul says our faith is in vain um, it is absolutely worthless. But the fact that he is resurrected, the fact that he is ascended, is proof to us that we too will be resurrected. Um, that the power that raised him up will also raise us up in due time. So very, very thankful for that. Well, tonight um, we're continuing, as I mentioned, in the statement of faith for our church. And we've gone through the first couple of lessons, one being on the scriptures, and two, what our statement faith, of faith said about God. Um, And tonight we're going to cover the Holy Spirit, which is, it's perfect. It ties into what we talked about this morning. And as I was looking at our statement and I was considering the various um, functions and ministries of the Holy Spirit, I was really kind of moved in my heart to consider a a future series, to to really just look in, in careful detail over all the various ministries that the Holy Spirit does. Because... Um, of the three persons of the Godhead I think the Holy Spirit is the one that's the most misunderstood the most misrepresented and uh, and, and often attributed with things that he does not do and, and often ignored for the things that he really does do um, in, in our world today with various denominations and and what so I I think this is a a really fruitful um, study we'll take a look our focus tonight will really just be on what the statement of faith says but in the future I'm going to look for an opportunity to to do a, a series on the Holy Spirit so as we look at our statement our church statement so let me read it in its entirety and then we'll break this down one by one and consider each of these statements um, we believe that the Holy Spirit is a divine person equal with God the Father and God the Son and of the same nature that he was active in the creation That in his relation to the unbelieving world, he restrains the evil one until God's purpose is fulfilled. That he convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That he bears witness to the truth of the gospel in preaching and testimony. That he is the agent in the new birth. That he seals, gives spiritual gifts, guides, teaches, witnesses, sanctifies, and helps the believer. Um, so that is um, actually, and c- compared to a lot of statement of faith, that's actually pretty concise. That's that's a relatively short statement with regards to the Holy Spirit. Um, but let's start with that uh, first statement there. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Now, do you know why we have to state that he is a divine person? How do some denominations portray the Holy Spirit? A A what? Like a ghost, okay, like a Holy Ghost, that's kind of, the old, uh, kind of the old English, but you can still think of them as a person. Some, some denominations, in particular a lot of Pentecostal denominations, um, will portray the Holy Spirit as a force, um, a force and not so much a person. Um, so it's a thing. And, and partially when you go through the uh, when you go through the New Testament or the Old Testament and you look at the kind of the pronouns that are used, you know, you've got masculine, you've got feminine, you've got neutered pronouns. And sometimes there's a neutered program, um, pronoun used for the Holy Spirit. Um, but the Holy Spirit is most certainly a person and not merely a force. Um, what scriptures can you guys think of? Um, to prove that the Holy Spirit is actually a person. What, what are some attributes? What are some characteristics of the Holy Spirit that would tell us he is a person? What do you think? Can I give you guidance? He gives guidance, right? Okay, he gives guidance. That's, uh, that's good. You can offend the Holy Spirit. You can offend the Holy Spirit. Um, now, can you think of any verses that uh, this might be referring to? Yeah. Yeah, the Ananias and Sapphira—that's a good story. Let's turn there. Let's go to Acts chapter five. That's that's uh, that's a good example here. Acts chapter five. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they had sold a piece of property. Um, they brought part of the money um, to, to the church um, before the apostles. And, and what was their sin? Their sin wasn't that they didn't give it all. They lied about. They, yeah, they, they presented it as if this were everything. You know, and, and um, a lot of people will use this verse to say, well, you know, we need to give it all. We, we need to give everything we have. But, you know, if you look carefully at this dialogue between Ananias and Peter, you, you see that, no, their, their sin wasn't that they didn't sell it all or that they didn't give it all, but that they lied. You know, look specifically at verse 3. Peter said this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Okay, so here, just that question alone, you might say, well, his crime was keeping back some of the price of the land, keeping some of the proceeds. But verse 4, he says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? So in other words, look, you were under no obligation to sell it. That belonged to you. And then his next point, and after it was sold, was it not under your control? So you sold it. The money is still yours. You know, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart You have not lied to men, but to who? God. God. Now, what do we see there between verses 3 and 4? What is this proof of? That the Holy Spirit is God. Right, because in verse 3, Peter says you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then verse 4, he says you have lied to God. A force can't be lied to in, in essence, right? You lie to a person. You know, I mean, there's, you know, if you're talking about a force that has no mental capacity, there's no, there's no, there's no concept of lying. You know, I, I wouldn't say I, I lied to this wall, right? You know, you, you lie to a person. You, you lie to someone who has mental um, capability to understand what it is um, you're, you're saying. So, yeah, that, that's uh, one example. But also, how about the fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, right? Um, we're told in Scripture, do not grieve the Holy Spirit um, let me see, does anyone know off the top of their head where that is? I was just looking it up. Yeah, that is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, and, and there's that word again um, from this morning, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So grieving, you can't grieve an inanimate object. You can't grieve a force. You grieve grieve a person. Um, So we see these characteristics of the Holy Spirit that that show his personhood. There's something else, too. Turn back to Acts chapter 10. This is very interesting. You remember how Gentiles were first saved in the book of Acts. It was through Peter and the centurion, right? Um it was uh, through this uh, centurion Um, that that Peter was brought to 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 witness. And, you know, Peter has a vision first of all these, uh, you know, kind of these unclean animals and how he's not supposed to touch and eat them. And then God tells him, look, whatever, you know, whatever is unclean is now considered to be clean. In other words, you can eat whatever foods. And and then Peter was instructed to go to the house of uh, this centurion named Cornelius. Um, Acts chapter 10. Starting in verse 24, on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshiped him. Verse 26, but Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And he talked with them, he entered, and found many people assembled. And verse 28, Um, He talks about the old customs He said you you yourselves know how unlawful It is for a man who is a Jew To associate with a foreigner um, And so on and so forth Um, and, And he comes in Let's see Comes in verse 30 Where was it? Yeah so he just relays That God shown to me that I should not call Any man unholy or Unclean But let me look here Give me a second In verse, go further up, actually, and we kind of passed it. Go to uh, verse 19. So Acts chapter 10, verse 19. When Peter was receiving this vision, so this is even before he was sent to go see Cornelius. Verse 19, when Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit did what? Said to him. What does that tell us about the Spirit? Yeah, well, He speaks. He speaks to he, he speaks he has mental capacity it requires mental capacity to actually speak he spoke to peter and then he spoke to peter saying this behold three men are looking for you but get up go downstairs and accompany them, accompany them without misgivings for i have sent them myself now this is interesting because when we look at cornelius at this point Cornelius had been, you know, giving alms to God and whatnot, but until he hears the gospel of salvation, until he hears about Jesus Christ, he's not saved. But the Holy Spirit is actually not only speaking to Peter, but he's also actually influencing the actions of unbelievers to come and and to uh, have a, you know, gather a, a, a gathering and have Peter come to them so that for the purpose that Peter would bring the gospel of salvation to them. Um, so we definitely see the, the Holy Spirit working. Um, he, he, has, um, you know, he, he has, you know, you can grieve him. You, you can lie to him. You know, he, he speaks. And, and even Acts chapter 13. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is the first Gentile church. Um, this is Antioch. Uh, verse 1. Now, they were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who were called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Here we have it again, the Holy Spirit speaking. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Then they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. Then they sent them away. And verse 4, having been sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. They were sent down to Seleucia where they sailed to Cyprus. So we see once again the Holy Spirit speaking and actually sending out. In fact, when we think of uh, the book of Acts, the book of Acts is really about the start and, and the growth of the church. The start and the growth of the early church. And uh, when when we think back, think back to John the Baptist. Um, what was the ministry of John the Baptist? What did he do? He prepared the, the, he prepared the way, but by doing what? Being the, voice in the wilderness. Being the voice in the wilderness. But what did he do? He baptized. He baptized. But then he made a differentiation between him and Jesus Christ. He said, I baptize with water, but there is one who's going to baptize with what? Holy a Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And of course, who's he referring to? He's referring to Jesus, right? Now, have you considered when Jesus actually started baptizing with the Holy Spirit? When did that start? He breathed on him. And then what what did Karen would say that again? I think you were the one to speak. Yeah, the day of Pentecost. I mean, look at Acts chapter one. Go back to Acts chapter one. I mean, it's very interesting when you think about it. At the beginning of the gospel accounts, you've got John the Baptist saying, one who comes after me, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And it gives you this idea that at some point during Jesus' ministry on earth, that he's going to be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. But actually, look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, starting in verse 3. Verse 3, talking about the apostles and disciples, said to these, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. And then verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So, going back, that statement from John the Baptist, saying that one comes after me who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, that's actually looking way forward to the time after Jesus ascends up into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit down upon the apostles. That's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit starts, and then from there, you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon all those um, who believe. So, you have this ministry of the Holy Spirit, this, this baptism. Ministry that uh, really when you go through the book of Acts, the book of Acts is very much about the acts uh, of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles, you know, fulfilling this promise that even though it said Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit, it was really the apostles that were appointed by Jesus. So really Jesus would baptize by the Holy Spirit through his apostles that uh, he had appointed. So we're, we're getting into, you're seeing really a lot of these ministries. Now, what's interesting is in our statement, um, we don't have any statement with regards to baptism. Um, nowhere in this statement does it talk about the Holy Spirit um, uh, baptizes. Um, so th- this is one of those uh, additions that we can consider sometime in the future. Um, but what is baptism? When you think about baptism, what does it mean to be baptized by the Spirit? You might remember what I said this morning, but what do you guys think? When you confess Jesus Christ, when you make a true confession of Jesus Christ, when you repent of your sins and, and, and make that commitment to, to follow him, um, part of what you receive is the, the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a, a seal, but then you're also baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, baptizo, the, the Greek word baptizo, um, literally means to immerse, right? So, I mean, that's why this morning when I baptized Clark Farrell, you know, we want to make sure that when we baptize, we're, we're fully immersing. Um, in water. That's, that's literally what that word means. But when it we talks about baptizing with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit, you know, it's not so much that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but that we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. You know, so instead of being immersed in water, we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? This, this baptism of the Spirit, what, what's the significance? Turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, when you do the water baptism, that's what it is. It is a public declaration, um, and, and really, uh, it's you know, while it doesn't say this anywhere explicitly in Scripture, the the water baptism is symbolic of what's happening inside. So it's it's an external demonstration of what's happening internally, and, and so I would say the water baptism is symbolic of a spirit baptism that's going on internally. But if you look at First Corinthians twelve, verse thirteen. Can someone go ahead and read for that for me? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. All right, so verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized, what? Into? Yeah, one body. One, what's, what's this body? Body of? Yeah, the body of Christ. That's the church. So the baptism of the Spirit actually makes us a part of the church universal. It makes us part of the body of Christ. Um, through the, That's the work of the Spirit. But also in this passage, you know, talking about the, the Spirit and, and his ministries. I mean, the Spirit has a will also. The Spirit actually has a sovereign will by which he operates. Um, go further up. We, we just read verse 12. But if we were to go further up to say... Um, We'll start in verse four. Verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. By the way, verses four, five, and six, that's a Trinitarian set of verses. I mean, Paul is mentioning the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. and He talks about God the Father. And his point being that all three of them work in unison. That that there is one common purpose by which the Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father all operate. And this was very important in Corinth. Because if you ever ever read the letter of 1 Corinthians, their greatest problem, starting from the very start of the letter, was division. They, they They were not in unity with one another. They were divided. They were dividing over sometimes senseless things, sometimes over sinful things, sometimes just for things that just needed a lot of correction. That's why this letter is so long. But, but here, Paul is making the point, and, and he's going to go on to talk about spiritual gifts. So that's the point of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are meant to edify the church and, and to bring us together as a unity. And he's making the point that the triune God, each of the three persons, they all operate in unison with one another. They all operate with the purpose of edifying the body and keeping us united together. Verse 7, that's why he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And notice each time he says by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. He's saying all these gifts, and and this is one of the things that the Spirit does. He gives us gifts, and that is part of our statement. He gives us gifts, but he gives us gifts. And the emphasis that it's all from the same Spirit being that these gifts are meant for a common purpose. It's meant for the common good. Um, Amongst uh, one another Um, But then when you go down to Verse 11 But one And the same spirit works all these Things distributing to Each one individually just As what He wills who is the he The spirit yeah just as the Holy Spirit wills The, the gifts that Each one of you have Was given to you by the Holy Spirit according To his own will And yet his will is in Perfect harmony with the will of God the Father And the will of God the Son, Jesus Christ Amen. So we see this personhood of the Holy Spirit You know, he can be grieved, he can speak um, he, he directs and guides people um, Here he actually distributes gifts According to his own will and, and purpose Yeah, I mean, the book of, uh, the book of Acts and, and some of these epistles They, You know, it's funny uh, When it comes to the Spirit One of the reasons why I think there's so much confusion Is that there isn't just one section of Scripture That you go to you know, to, to get this full teaching of the Spirit. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's mentioned in and out throughout all the letters, but but the Holy Spirit is is rarely the focus. You know, it's often God the Father, God the Son, but the Holy Spirit is always there to support the, the will of God the Father and to bring our attention to God the Son. So we kind of have to read through a lot of these verses and put them together um, to try to understand the full ministry of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a divine person. That's what we talked about. That's part of the statement. Equal with God the Father and God the Son And of the same nature Equal with God the Father and God the Son And of the same nature Well we saw at least one verse That talks about the Holy Spirit being God That was the Ananias and Sapphira account Right when Peter said you have not lied to men But you have lied to God Right after he said you have lied lied to the Holy Spirit Are there any other proofs that you would go to To show the Holy Spirit is God? Uh, Genesis 1-2 Yeah, creation, right? Uh, Existed before creation. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is obvious as the creation is taking place. Yeah. Um, and it says so in Genesis 1 2. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, the Holy Spirit is right there from creation. But there's also something else. Um, during the ministry of Jesus Christ, he brought a very serious accusation against some of the Pharisees with regards to the Holy Spirit. What was it? The blaspheme. blaspheme the Spirit. You blaspheme the spirit. You know, in fact, let's uh, let's take a look at that. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. You know, and if you were to do um, a study on the word blasphemy and you were to look Old Testament, New Testament and find out all the instances that blasphemy comes up, you can make a convincing argument that it's always in reference to God. Um, People are not referenced as being blasphemed. It may be possible, but in the scriptures, um, overwhelmingly, every time there's one time where it might refer to a person and not to God. But in every other time that I looked at and there were dozens of instances, blasphemy was clearly against God. And when you go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says this, Matthew twelve thirty, who, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. This is the unpardonable sin and it's interesting that Jesus says your sins against me that will be forgiven But your sins against the Holy Spirit that will not be forgiven that is an unpardonable um, sin Which by the way, I don't believe you can commit this sin today I think this was for a specific time um, in in a very specific scenario You're, You're talking about Pharisees who were the keepers of the law The Pharisees knew the Old Testament better than anyone And and if there was anyone amongst the Jews who should have recognized the signs of the Messiah, it was these Pharisees. They knew the scriptures and they should have been able to look at him and know the prophecies and be able to say whether or not Jesus Christ was fulfilling those prophecies. Um, But instead, you know, they wouldn't confirm Jesus Christ as the Messiah. In fact, they continued to reject him. And in a lot of these instances, you will see that the people will look at what Jesus Christ is doing and they will start to wonder out loud, could this be the son of David? And when he says son of David, what does that mean? The Messiah that that is that that is terminology for could this be the Messiah? The people start asking that question and it is in direct response to that question that they start saying, no, he casts out he casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub. So rather than, you know, being the keepers of the law, being the one who knew the Old Testament better than anyone else, and actually witnessing the works of Jesus Christ, rather than examining the scriptures which they claimed to be experts of, they actually did everything they could to turn the people away from the true Messiah and actually attribute those works to Satan himself. Um, So I think it was for a very specific time and it was for a very specific group of people Um, You don't hear this unpardonable sin being thrown at anyone else aside from these religious uh, elite. Um, I I think today the only unpardonable sin is really to die without confessing Jesus Christ. You know, you always have that opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as Lord from the heart. Um, There are times where people are just so hardened in their hearts. uh, And and sometimes people are, are in the faith, or at least they look like they're in the faith. They walk away from the faith or they reject the faith or you find out that they have been in just tremendous sin in their background. And, you know, and, and because they were actually with the body and, and they saw all that that is testified by the scriptures and, the, and and God and Jesus Christ and whatnot and can still in the background just commit these uh, terrible sins. You know, sometimes they're so hardened uh, that you could say that, you know, they're they're leading themselves into destruction. But that, that's not the same thing as an unforgiving unpardonable sin where the unpardonable sin is that you're blaspheming the holy spirit in this case you're blaspheming the work of the holy spirits and attributing it to satan and of all it was it was really the people that should have known better than anyone else um who the messiah was and and what he would do when he came um so a little bit of a tangent there but i just want to be sure that you guys understand i don't believe that there is an unpardonable sin today anyone and everyone has a chance to confess jesus christ and, and to be saved um but yeah we see blasphemy against the spirit and and you know if if the spirit were not god how could it be blasphemy how could it be unforgivable right you know so that's that's one of the arguments i would go to how about the great commission what um does anyone have the great commission memorized and do what Yeah, that's right. That's right. Go, go to Matthew 28, very end of the book of Matthew. Sorry, that's okay. That's okay. That's good. That's good. You. you know, throughout the Old Testament, the Lord is very zealous for his own name. I mean, you see that over and over again. The Lord is zealous for his name. You are not to trample upon his name. You are not to disregard his name. You are not to treat it as unholy. He is very zealous for his name, and he zealously protects it and guards it. And in fact, when he acts to save us, he does it on the account of his holy name. You see that in Ezekiel chapter 36. But here, when you go to Matthew 28, you look at the Great Commission at the very end of the book of Matthew. You go to verse 18. Jesus came to uh, came to and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in earth and on heaven go therefore make disciples of all the nations now of course that's important because making disciples is not merely just evangelizing right oftentimes this is uh, this is thought of as just going out and evangelizing giving the gospel to everyone but it says make disciples what's the difference there what's the difference between simply evangelizing and and the act of making disciples yeah Kathy Yeah, you're, you're, you're training them. Yeah, and, and I think, I think the, the key there is training them. In fact, if we keep reading here, it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But look at verse 20. Teaching them to do what? Observe what? All, yeah, all that I have commanded you. And where would you find all that Jesus had commanded them? Is it just in the Gospels and the red letters? No, where would you find it? All of Scripture. Yeah, all of Scripture. You know, I mean, part of that, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit was, was to fill the disciples with with the wisdom of God and be able to to, to record it and to write down the, the letters and the books that we have in the remaining remainder of the New Testament. But it wasn't just the New Testament that we can consider coming from this, the Holy Spirit or even the Spirit of Christ. Take a look at... Um, Oh, before we jump off this, uh, Matthew 28, I, I, I forgot this because I was talking about the name. Verse 19, "Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, and, and baptizing them, that shows that even though making disciples is more than just evangelism, it certainly is evangelism, because you baptize when you make converts. And it says, baptizing them in the name. Singular or plural. Singular. singular. The name singular of the Father. And the Son and the Holy Spirit. And nowhere in Scripture will you see the name of God being shared by anyone else. The name of God is sacred. The name of God is holy. And here, Jesus Christ shows that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share the same name. Amen. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, talking about um, instructing, instructing disciples to observe all that Jesus Christ has taught. But here's what's interesting: when you go to Second Peter chapter one, and chapter one, go down to verse 19. Second Peter one, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, no prophecy. Okay, this is talking about any prophecy throughout Scripture. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by who? The holy men moved by Holy Spirit spoke from God. So we see that all the scriptures, I mean all the scriptures that we have was a ministry of the Holy Spirit. But go back to 1 Peter. So we're in 2 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter now. And let's look at 1 Second 1 Peter 1:10. 1. 1 Peter 1:10. Peter is talking about salvation, the salvation that we have received. He's praising God for the salvation earlier on in this letter. And then when you get to verse 10, he says, as to this salvation, the prophets, what prophets is he talking about? He says, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. What prophets do you think he's talking about? The Old Testament. Yeah, it's the Old Testament prophets. Yeah, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. The prophets who had prophesied of the grace that was That would come. This is talking about all the prophecies made of Jesus Christ going back to the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of the Messiah, saying that the prophets who had prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of who. Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. This is talking about the prophets of the Old Testament who were prophesying about the future sufferings of the Messiah. But interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of who? (coughs) Christ, the spirit of Christ. So in this way, I mean, this is certainly the Holy Spirit. But we see very much that Christ is involved in even the Old Testament. So teaching teaching people all you know when Jesus says you're to teach them all that um, that all that I've ta- taught to observe all that I've taught you know it really is you can make an argument that's all of Scripture all of what Scripture says right Mike Well I was thinking of uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus he yeah. talked to the to those disciples that he talked about all the scriptures that related to him but those scriptures are all of them from the Old Testament Yeah yeah that's a great point Luke uh, let's turn there Luke twenty four. Luke chapter 24, and this is why you should memorize the order of the books in the Bible because when we flip around a lot, it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> or you know what? You, you can have also what I've, I've told people. Just print out an index uh, of the books of the Bible, and, and in your index, you can know, have a piece of paper, and actually write down the page number so that you can have this piece of paper, and you can go straight instead of having to flip back to the table of contents. You can even order it by alphabetical order. So when I say go to Luke, you can actually look up Luke and see the page number and go there. But I think it's, it's good to, to memorize the order of the books. It's, uh, it'll pay off in, in the long run. So Luke 24, um, going to, let's see here. Verse uh, 25. Well, we'll pick it up from verse 25. Um, Jesus has been, had been walking with a couple of disciples. Um, and, and they were talking about how, you know, they were sad because uh, Jesus Christ is not in the tomb. They don't know what happened to Jesus. And, you know, they thought he was going to restore the kingdom. And so they don't know what's going on. And verse 25, Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? See, people, the disciples were sad that Jesus Christ had suffered. You know, and they were thinking that this, he was a failure. And Jesus, with this statement, goes, you, you men are fools. Don't you know from the Old Testament that this was actually what was prophesied to happen? And then verse 27, this is what Mike was talking about. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You know, he, he did that over the course of. What I think 40 days really just spending time with them teaching them showing them the scriptures And if you want to know what it is he taught them Just look at what the apostles end up preaching when they're preaching starting from the day of pentecost You'll see the old testament verses that they're quoting to prove that jesus is the christ those 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 quotations from the old testament. I believe that's exactly what jesus taught them So now they're turning around and teaching others, you know how the old testament testified uh, to to christ um but all this to say that the, that the Holy Spirit is involved in the writing of Scripture. That's actually not in the statement um, our faith, statement of faith, and I think it should be, that the Holy Scripture provided us with, with all of Scripture. Um, but also that Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, what the point I was making here is that um, when Christ said, teach disciples to observe all that I have commanded you, you can make a good argument that all of the Scriptures um, were written by Christ through the, the Holy Spirit. You know, because as was described by Peter, it was the spirit of Christ that was moving within them to write down these prophecies. So to make disciples is is really to um, not only teach people to go out and make other disciples, but it's really just to grow them in their in their Christian faith. It's to help teach them in situations in their life, in their day-to-day life as, as a wife, as a husband, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, how you are to glorify God in all these various capacities of life. How are you to apply the scriptures? So when you read through the epistles of Paul, the epistles of Peter and John and James, they're just filled with the wisdom of, of, um, of Jesus Christ given to us through the Spirit. Um, let's go to the Gospel of John. So you're in Luke, you should be able to just go one book back to the, actually one book to the right, and that would be John. Go to John 14. John 14, uh, starting in verse 16. I actually read this this morning, but we'll take a look at it again. John 14, verse 16. And can someone read for me verses 16 and 17? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of, the tr- of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does, it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and you will see. And, you and will be, and will be in you. yeah so so Jesus here that's what he's talking about I'm going to go to the father and I'm going to send you another helper and by another helper the implication is that Jesus Christ was the first helper and um, but we, we have ministries that are described for these uh, next few chapters starting in chapter 14 is your phone okay there that's okay that's okay um, Go down, stay here in chapter fourteen. Go down to verse twenty-six. <clears throat> Someone read for me verse twenty-six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Yeah, this is this is interesting. So uh, this Helper, this Comforter, as it said in your translation, whom the Father will send in my name, what what's he going to do according to this verse? teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you you know the, the apostle John when, when he talked about the ministry of Jesus Christ he said that you, you know if you were to write everything that Jesus said and did you know the whole world couldn't even you know, hold the, the contents of those books but here it is an amazing promise that he's going to bring to remembrance everything that I said and this is amazing too because a lot of times the disciples they heard Jesus speaking and they didn't understand what Jesus was saying they didn't get it. Jesus would say things that, that just didn't line up with their theology. And they were like, huh? I don't get this. I don't understand this. You know, but later, as, as, as all these prophecies were being fulfilled, it was, you know, it, it became very much a part of their understanding. And it was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit teaching all things and being, bringing to remembrance all that he said. Uh, let's go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26. And someone read verses 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. All right. So in this case, verse 26 and 27, what do we see about this helper, this Holy Spirit, that he is going to do what at the end of verse 26? Comforter, He will testify about who? Jesus. Yeah, about Jesus Christ. Yeah, he will testify about Jesus Christ. And then he tells the disciples, you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. So even though we did not directly witness the work of Jesus Christ, we can still testify, can't we? We can still testify to the works of Christ because we have who? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And and how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit reveals to us through the word of God. And that's the ministry of the Spirit is the word of God. But also the ministry of the Spirit is as we read the word of God, what does the Holy Spirit do to us? What does the Holy Spirit help us to do as we read his word? Yeah, yeah. He helps us to understand. Yeah, turn, uh, let's take a look at, um, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. So we had already heard from Jesus that this spirit that is going to be sent, he's going to testify, but he's also going to teach all things. He's going to bring to remembrance all that he has taught. By the way, that's how, you know, skeptics and scoffers who will question these scriptures, they'll say, well, look, no one remembers things perfectly. You know the things that they record they they didn't record it perfectly they they people misremember details all the time so there's a lot of details they they got wrong or things that they forgot or they start to insert their own ideas. but no, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit was to bring to remembrance everything that he had taught them so that they would be fit for this specific task of of writing scripture. but in first Corinthians chapter two, first Corinthians chapter two, starting in verse ten, let me go ahead and read this for to us God revealed. Them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So right there, you see that that the spirit is from God. And what he allows us to do is to know the things freely given to us by God through his word. And in verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, But in those taught by the Spirit. So Paul is talking about what he has taught them directly, saying, What I have taught you directly is not the words of human wisdom, it's the words of God taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this is a wonderful passage because it's talking about the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. In a sense, we have the mind of Christ, We have the mind of Christ because we know what's been given to us by God, what's been taught through his scriptures. It's a wonderful ministry, but there's also a kind of an application principle that I would draw from this. What does it say here about the natural man? What does it say about the natural man that what? He cannot understand. It's foolishness to him. And why is it foolishness to him? Yeah, his eyes are closed. He doesn't have who? Yeah, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit working within him. And so when you're sharing spiritual truths with unbelievers, when they don't understand, when they reject, should we be surprised? No, 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 we shouldn't be surprised. And a lot of times I would say this. I tell you what, your faith is tested by how willing you are to be a fool before unbelievers. Mm -hmm. You know, look, they're not good. They're going to think what you're saying is absolute stupidity. But, you know, I, I know people that. You know, for instance, I I have a close friend back at uh, my old church who is literally a rocket scientist. He is a rocket scientist. He works for um, Rocketdyne, and he used to be an atheist. You know, and so he was one of these guys, you know, you can imagine trying to argue God to an atheist who is a rocket scientist. That sounds like a pretty intimidating endeavor, doesn't it? But you know what? At some point, he came to faith. At some point, someone challenged him. At some point, someone was witnessing to him and just trusting in the power of God. And God actually used that witnessing to actually give him a new heart. And it's funny. Now, he, he receives uh, letters from his um, siblings who are not believers. And one of his brothers, he, he told this to me. He's like, one of his brothers wrote to him and said, you know, I, I just don't get it. You're such a smart guy. I don't get how you could believe this stuff. And the implication there is because you're smart, you shouldn't believe this, right? But you know what's amazing about Scripture is we see just, just how marvelously logical and how well and perfectly this fits together. And Clark, I was talking to Clark earlier this week, and Clark is like, how could you not believe this? You're reading through this. How could you not believe that Jesus is the Christ? How could you not believe that this came from God? But you know what? That's the response of someone whose heart has been enlightened. To be able to see this and say, this is absolutely magnificent. This could only come from a divine source. So this is, and what, a, what a wonderful ministry of the Spirit that, that we have. You know, we think about it. I mentioned it in my last three messages through Ephesians. That was a Trinitarian <clears throat> praise from Paul. God the Father is the one who sets the will. God the Son is the one who executes it. And God the, God the Holy Spirit is the one who applies it to our heart. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who, in our life, he is the the one that is most evident to us because he continues to work within us. And it's really through the Holy Spirit that we have both God the Father and God the Son as well. Um, so it, what a marvelous ministry. Now, let us we've covered quite a few verses, and I think we're covering quite a few of the points that are in the Statement of Faith. Let's go back and take a look at them. So once again... Um, First statement, we believe the Holy Spirit is a divine person, equal with God the Father, God the Son, and of the same nature. I think we've talked about that. Um, number two, he was active in the creation. Um, we, we just brought that up. Maureen talked about Genesis 1-2. And then verse 3, i uh, I'm not verse 3, the, the third part of this, I, I, I might have a little bit of um, a disagreement here. That in his relation to the unbelieving world, he restrains the evil one until God's purpose is fulfilled. He restrains the evil one until God's purpose is fulfilled. Now, this might be true. Um, I'm just saying that it's not completely clear to me. Now, does anyone know what verse this might be referring to? It's, um, it, you're very close. It's Second Thessalonians. Go, go with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two. This is Paul um, speaking about the one he refers to as the lawless one. He's talking about the lawless one. And if you go to verses six and seven. I'm sorry. Chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses six and seven. Paul writes this. And you know what restrains him now now, So that in time he will be revealed Talking about the lawless one That someone restrains him Verse 7 For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work Only he who now restrains will do so Until he is taken out of the way And and that's all we have Um, So there's actually been many positions on these verses Um, Back in the uh, kind of the uh, the old era you know back in you know some of the earliest uh, generations of, of christianity so a lot of people thought that this was the roman empire this is the roman empire who restrains the evil one well i mean looking back we see that the roman empire was guilty of quite a bit of transgressions against god and and uh, his word um and then in time some people thought that this is the church well you can make an argument for that because jesus christ says that we as the church we are to be light and salt right and salt is a preservative So in a sense, you can say that the function of the church uh, acts as a restrainer against the evil one. And some people looked at this and say, well, this is the the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit restrains. And and certainly we um, have some scriptures to go through. I mean, in Genesis 6-3, God talks about how my spirit will not struggle with man forever. Um, so this idea that my spirit is with man somehow kind of, um, you know, restraining them in some sense. So some people might take that and say, well, this is talking about his restraint um, over this uh, this lawless one. Well, you know, these verses, it's, it's hard to know for sure um, exactly whether he, I, I mean, for sure. I'll say this. It is by the sovereignty of God that the lawless one is being restrained It is by the sovereignty of God. That's without question. Um, but is it through the Holy Spirit? It might be. Or it might be something else. So I, I would say that um, th- this is not quite as um, um, it's not as quite as cut and dry on this one. And if you were to open most study Bibles on this verse, you'll, you'll notice that they'll just present you the various positions, but they won't take a position. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of people are, are unsure of what to position, what position to take there as well. But we know that there is something or someone that's restraining the lawless one. But there's no, nothing here in this passage that says for sure that it is the Holy Spirit. It could be, but we just don't know that um, 100%. So the next statement uh, from our statement of faith is that he convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's actually, I believe, in John 16. So if you were to go to John 16... Yeah, John 16, go down to verse seven. John 16, verses seven and eight. Uh, this is where we see these truths. John 16, seven and eight. Jesus says, "But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment." And then go down to verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it. To you. So, again, this is talking about the illumination, what we call the illumination of the Spirit. Um, but, but really, the, the Spirit's ministry in helping to, once again, bring all to remembrance, teaching all things to the apostles and disciples that we would have everything that we have in the scriptures um, today. But, yeah, we, we do see earlier on in verse 8 that he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, sin, uh, because we're all guilty of sin, that is what leads us to judgment. Righteousness, this, uh, this reference to the righteousness of God and that Jesus Christ himself has ascended up to God, showing that everything he did was righteous. And then judgment, um, you know, knowing that, uh, that all of us, we are born into this world judged and the ruler of this world has been judged. Um, so let's go ahead and go on. So that's sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, was there a question or were you just stretching? just stretching okay so the next statement um he bears witness to the truth of the gospel in preaching and testimony he bears witness to the truth of the gospel in preaching and testimony where we saw earlier where jesus promised that he will testify of me and you will be my witnesses also you will testify of me and today we testify you know not because we were direct witnesses but because we have the holy spirit and we're witnesses through the scriptures which is a ministry of the Spirit. Um, he also bears witness in, in preaching. I, I don't know if the preaching there is, is necessary. I think testimony is broad enough to cover preaching, but, you know, that's fine. And next statement, he is the agent in the new birth. He is the agent in the new birth. Well, we read from 1 Corinthians 12 that he baptizes us into the body, right? And, and we also read in that same kind of section that he gives us gifts. He gives us gifts uh, for the common good. And, uh, and, and we see the illumination. Um, And part of the new birth is also his work in sanctifying us and helping us to to have a a new desires, to have have um, new priorities in life that we wouldn't normally have. Um, After that, it says he also seals. And we heard about that this morning. um, He seals. He gives spiritual gifts. We read about that. He guides, we saw examples of that from the book of Acts. He teaches, that's one of the promises from Jesus Christ. He witnesses, also a promise from Jesus Christ. He sanctifies and helps the believer. We see that through um, illumination, the illumination. But in terms of sanctification and growing us, we'll go look at one more passage. Go to Ephesians, well actually two more passages. We'll go to Ephesians 6, actually 5, 18. Ephesians 5, 18. Ephesians 518. And we will end up studying this in depth when I get to it on a Sunday morning. But Ephesians 518, Paul has this instruction. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And by being filled with the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, verse 19 says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And even further, he goes on to talk about husbands and wives. In chapter 6, he talks about children and parents, masters and slaves, and their relationships to one another. So being filled with the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit is really this idea of first uh, of thanksgiving, of giving praise to the Lord, um, but, but also in our relationships to one another, um, that, that we, we respect one another and we operate the way we were called to operate. But, but the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, helps us to do these things. You know, when we're walking in the Spirit and we see that in Galatians 5, turn with me to Galatians 5. So Ephesians, go back uh, to the left one book. And starting in 516, 516, Paul says this, he's got this statement, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please so this is describing an inner spiritual war that we have inside of us that there is the flesh still even though we are a new creation we still battle with the flesh but we also have the power of the spirit and they're set against one another and if you're in verse 18 says but if you're led by the spirit you are not under law Verses nineteen to twenty talks about the deeds of the flesh, but look at verse twenty-two. Verse twenty-two says the but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the idea, if we're walking by the spirit, we will exhibit these kinds of characteristics, and the assumption is that each and every day as we continue to grow, we will exhibit it more than we had before. You know, it, you know, day by day, we might have our struggles. There may be times where we'd slip into difficult seasons of, of rebellion. But I would say over the long period of time, it's almost like watching a stock market rising. You know, day to day, you've got some upwards and downward ticks. But if you look at the average, you see it going up and up and up. And that's really what our walk with Christ should be that we're becoming conformed to the image of Christ and, and we're become, becoming conformed by exhibiting more and more of these kinds of characteristics. That, that is part of the ministry of the Spirit. That's what helps us to, to keep continue growing. And, and even when you look back at verses 19 to 21, the deeds of the flesh, he mentioned many deeds of the flesh that we can use to test of our, ourselves. But look at the end of verse. Uh, verse 21 says, Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, this idea is that the Spirit protects us from the regular practice of these deeds of the flesh that would end up proving that we are not of Christ. If we're of Christ, we should be able to show the fruit of the Spirit. So I think that's what we just made it through the entire statement of the Holy Spirit. This has been kind of a broad study. We've looked at a lot of verses. Hopefully this was helpful, you know, just to show all the different ways that the Holy Spirit operates. He certainly has a lot of ministries. Um, And as we've been going through this, I already have some ideas of how I would um, might rephrase this and some things that I would add. One more thing I would just add is that he was active in the incarnation of Christ. He was active in the incarnation of Christ. Right. Because the seed came from who? the god but specifically the holy spirit, spirit. so the spirit uh, the seed came from the holy spirit so that's very interesting to to kind of consider in your mind that the incarnation of christ he it was it was the virgin birth but, but really the seed came from the holy spirit so something to consider